millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Firstly, huge thanks to every listener who has pre-ordered a copy of my novel, Insatiable, A Love Story for Greedy Girls, which will be published by Sphere in February. A special limited signed edition is available to pre-order from Waterstones, and here's what you can expect. Stuck in a dead-end job, broken-hearted, broke, and estranged from her best friend, Violet's life is nothing like she thought it would be. She wants more. Better friends, better sex and a better job, and she wants it now. So when Lottie, who looks like the woman Violet wants to be when she grows up, offers Violet the chance to join her exciting start-up, she bites. Only it soon becomes clear that Lottie and her husband Simon are not only inviting Violet into their company, they are also inviting her into their lives. Seduced by their townhouse, their expensive candles and Friday night sex parties, Violet cannot tear herself away from Lottie, Simon or their friends. But is this really the more that Violet yearns for? And will it grant her the satisfaction she is so desperately seeking? I'd recommend Insatiable to anyone who is interested in reading about desire, appetite, how we battle the contradictions within us and the difference between feeling safe and feeling secure. I would not recommend it to anyone who is looking for a cosy read for their delicate grandmother. Anyway, this week's guest is the author of our most recent steal of the week. It's Candice Brathwaite, founder of Make Motherhood Diverse and author of the Sunday Times bestseller, I Am Not Your Baby Mother. This is a book about prejudice and preconception, race, womanhood, family, love and connection. And it's written with great generosity, wit and honesty, just like my conversation with Candice. We talked about Tony Morrison, Elizabeth Gilbert, Sister Soldier, and all of the magical things that can happen when you're left unsupervised by someone else's bookshelves. Firstly, I just wanted to say how much I adored your book. Um, I just truly, truly loved it. And it was such an honour and a privilege to spend that time in your company and sort of hearing your voice. And it's... And it really, really made me think, and I learned so much from it, but it's just written in such a, a beautiful, vivid way too. So I really loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride since it came out. It's been a bit of a, a strange one. Good, but really intense, because to think it only came out in May, and it feels like it's been out for at least a year, 
I think, especially with lockdown, time just doesn't feel like what it used to do. So it feels a bit strange. How has that experience been? Because I guess, you know, we didn't know about the pandemic. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you started writing it and when you were anticipating the the publication, um, how have your hopes and expectations kind of differed from what it was like to do this during lockdown? Mm, yeah, I, of course, I wanted to, in my mind, I was going to go on a really great book tour and meet whoever was going to read the book. And so as the time drew closer, say about March, it started to be a reality like, oh, this is probably not going to go as planned. And I was very insistent that we delay the publication. Quirkus were like, no, let's just go for it. It will be fine. Um, they clearly had the right idea. And then, of course, we had the amplification of the Black Lives Matter movement happen at the same time. I know that that boosted the book so much. And so I'm having to sit with being on this seesaw of believing that I've done great work that people want to interact with, but also having to acknowledge that I think the book got pulled into these ginormous lists just because when we're speaking about motherhood from a Black British perspective, it is the first and only of its kind. So um, I, I describe it as like watching a newborn having to go to university. And you're like, oh, bring my child back. And you can't because now it belongs to the world. <laughs> I really love that analogy you're like but it's it's too little it's not but it has been huge and you know I should say I'm a white woman and I'm ashamed of how how white my reading is and that's something that I've been you know making a conscious effort to to do better and to read more widely is it complicated because as you said that that your book is so brilliant and I you know do you think and believe that at any point of publication it would have been so well received but to be part of I don't want to say zeitgeist because that feels like entirely the wrong word for something so urgent and so necessary but to be sort of almost part of a news agenda what do you, do you have feelings around that are they difficult to untangle yeah they are um i i have heard people many a time describe i'm not your baby mother as political which always gets my back up a bit because i i didn't write it with that kind of intent i don't think i'm the most educated when it comes to politics even if it's a version of dog whistle politics when i first heard that word tied to the book i was like oh really but i guess in in the moment that we're in and trying to move towards an anti-racist society that's where that book sits and for it to be now used as a tool not just by white people but say media outlets and the news is that is really strange and that I was not expecting I was expecting because the industry that I've come from the position of mummy blogging um those kind of books usually have a short shelf life pardon the bad pun it's like you know great launch week um it's discussed widely on social media because the promo is great and all of that but a month or two down the line we're no longer speaking about those titles for me to still be having this discussion months after publication for dms and emails to still be coming in daily i'm having to sit with the idea that that's that book's perhaps going to do that for a really long time um even if i feel like 
the subject matter within the book is dated I think people are still gonna pick it up and learn something new so yeah I'm just kind of being carried along. I was really curious about with your children the stories that you love sharing with them and the stories that you're really excited about sharing with them when they're a little bit older. So one of the bedtime stories that we keep coming back to is Solway by the actress Lupita Inyongo. Um, and what I love about Solway is it's a children's storybook about colorism, um, which is a, it's a strand, it's a conversation on its own. I think there are so many people now learning about racism or working on being anti-racist who have yet to understand the effects that colorism plays within races outside of the white race. So black, Asian, BAME, I hate that term, but for ease, BAME. And um, the way the story of Sulway is told, because Sulway's skin tone is is my skin tone it's mummy skin tone my daughter would say Solway's sister has her skin tone and the way um colorism is broken down and described I just think it's absolutely beautiful and amongst my my friendship group the parents um we really really love Solway when Esme I'm not sure about RJ my son he's only two but when Esme's a little older I would definitely want her to read any of the greats by, say, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, Bell Hooks, just those really dope, strong black female voices. Um, Mallory Blackman, because I think um, just out of habit, especially me, I tend to lean towards the African-American female voice in writing, just because it's been given prominence and, and centre stage for far longer than black British voices. Um, one of my favourite stories um, is The Coldest Winter Ever by a writer called Sister Soldier. And I reread that book um, about a week ago and I thought, my word, was I really reading this at 15? It's very, very raunchy. I was like, okay, so maybe a little later for Esme. But um, <laughs> those, are, <laughs> those, are the kind of, those are the kind of stories I would want her to read. Tell me yeah. about uh, The Coldest Winter Ever. What's it about? <laughs> So it's it's about the daughter of a Brooklyn um, drug kingpin in the 1980s. And it just charts her journey from her dad losing everything and her having to become street smart and savvy. Um, I don't want to spoil the story for anyone, but it's such a, it's still a very popular book within certain communities. And this was way before social media. I think the book was published in, 95 96 and you know um sister soldiers sold well over a million copies and this was a time before you could just tweet or say i've got this book out and i think i really latched onto the coldest winter ever i'll say on record now my dad wasn't a drug lord but um <laughs> i'd never read before that time i'd never read a fiction book where there were so many threads of it that i was just like oh this is my life as a teenager growing up in Brixton, South London, I was like, yeah, that's happened to me, or I understand that. And um, I think it's a marvellous thing to see yourself in a book for the first time. Um, and black girls specifically have to wait a little longer for that, unfortunately. Yeah. How did that book come into your life? Did someone say, you'll love this? And did you then go and pass it on to people? 
Yes, yeah, so um, in WH Smith in Brixton, I know they still sell books, but uh, when I was younger, they used to have like a black aisle, a black section where they keep all of those books. And I don't know who bought the first copy to school, but um, the coldest winter ever became like this mythical thing because there were only a few copies lingering around and there was like a, 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 a waiting list and um, most schools started to ban the book by that time. And like I said, I think now when I reread it, I'm like, I understand why, because it was quite, even though the main character in the book is about 15, 16, it's got very adult themes. And so it was just a book that came to be by word of mouth. And when I sat down to write, I am not your baby mother, all I was thinking of is, uh, 15, 16, 17 year olds at school or at college who would do to my book what I did to The Coldest Winter Ever. Oh my gosh, girl, you have to read this. Like that quiet bubble under the surface, that's the magic I was looking for. And that's what The Coldest Winter Ever did to me. It just, it came into my life because all my friends were reading it and you didn't want to be left out. I'm sure... Um it's still in print but if ever they reissue it I think you need to write the introduction to it <laughs> yeah I would love that I would I universe I hope you heard that that would be amazing I mean now I feel like the moment you know I don't want to obviously we've got lots to talk about but as soon as we've finished recording the podcast I'm ordering that book because I that <laughs> the goosebumps and I do think on the one hand I don't think any book should be banned but on the other I'm like mm. Of course they sold millions of copies. You banned something, that makes people want it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, completely. Did you did you love reading? Were you sort of a, ever a reluctant reader who came to it later? Or were you always someone who sought out the books? I was always someone who read. And funnily enough, my granddad is severely dyslexic and blind in one eye. So him reading a, an ordinary letter is a struggle. Um, and because of that, he was always, I was raised by my grandfather, so he was insistent that I was a strong reader, that wasn't up for negotiation. Um, and so he would, every Friday, go down to a bookshop in Kennington, I can't remember what it's called, and just buy five really random books, like they never made sense. I think he would just ask the, the bookseller, what do you think I should purchase? And he just started to build up in my grandparents' home and a massive, awesome home library. And would be like, if I ever complained about being bored, he'd be like, go and pull any book down and get on with reading. And so I was reading really grown up books by the time I was like seven, eight years old. And I was an only child up until eight. So a lot of my um, playtime, a lot of my alone time was spent in a book. And I think it wasn't until my late teens um, that I came out of my bedroom to interact with the world instead of reading. I was that kind of child. I would forego even bathing myself if a book was good. It's like, no, I'm staying up all night. I'm finishing it right now. Um, so, yeah, I always loved reading. Always. I love that, that you were so immersed in the universe. That it's almost like time has stopped entirely while you've got this book in your hands. Can yeah. you remember some of those early books that your grandfather oh, had? 
what did he have? Um, I know there was a, a Nelson Mandela one, Long Walk to Freedom. I can remember that. There was also, again, I don't know why all my, all my books back then were so salacious, but he bought one called Erotic Tales. Oh, wow. I'm just like, Grandad, what? <laughs> and I, went, I Googled it a couple of weeks ago because um, it came up in conversation. And I thought, is that even still in print? And it literally is a collection of like very sexy stories. Like you've got Lady Chatterley's Lover in there. That was on, I remember reading that when I was like 12 and just being, even though the language felt very far removed from how I would write or speak, I understood it. So that stands out um, in my memory. Um, there, were, there were children's books like The Secret Garden and a lot of at school when I was younger, The Babysitter's Club. Of course, I read um, To Kill a Mockingbird as you go up into teens for like English language. So yeah, those are the books that I can remember for some reason me and um my friends were having a conversation about to kill a mockingbird a while ago and reading it as young children and being you know Mm. so so moved by it and so compelled by you know by Atticus and by Scout but also thinking this story is quite quite troubling (laughs) in all kinds of ways it's almost like it's adult but also the sort of the the morality of it and the like oh no everything's fine now and we sorted out all these issues yeah and to think especially given what's um, been happening with the black lives matter movement now how um to kill a mockingbird is still so timeless mm. it, you know i can give that to my daughter today and she would still be able to see how um the theme in that story is affecting her everyday life that is the mark of a truly, truly brilliant book. I've just started reading a million years after everybody else in the world has read it because it's brilliant. Um, An American Marriage by Tiari Jones. Ah! <laughs> and the wrongful imprisonment again um, and the sort of the miscarriage of justice. It's awful and it's tragic, but that the world is set up in such a way that no one is surprised by it. Yeah, and that's the thing. What... What one am I just starting to finish now? Red at the Bone by um, Jacqueline Woodson, I think. And um, she tells a fiction story about the Tulsa, what happened in Tulsa in the US. And I just find specifically African-American fiction, I find it really sad sometimes. I'm like, so one day I would love to just read a book by a black writer which perhaps doesn't reference struggle yeah perhaps I'm asking for too much I don't know but I just as brilliant as these books are it's this continuous regurgitation of injustice suffering slavery you know and then of course with books like that that's normally um what happens in movies because movies usually mirror books and I'm just a bit it gets a bit tiring I'm a bit tired i recently read um such a fun age which i'm still on the fence about oh really yeah i'm just (laughs) tell me why the ending infuriated me to me i felt like the ending was too clipped i was like it cannot be wrapped up so quickly but i what i did appreciate about it is the way it was clearly suggesting heavier tones such as bias and racism but it was done in a much lighter way even hence the title such a fun age I did appreciate that I thought yeah this is a little bit 
better for me right now. We had um, Pandora Sykes on the podcast and yes. I think I just bought your book and she yeah. was raving about it and saying how much she adored it. Um, and we were both talking about such a fun age. And I said to her that is sort of a pitch for, you know, if Kylie Reid is listening, she might be. Um, we can dream, I'm sure. <laughs> One day, um, I really want to read a book about what it was like for Amira growing up in a family where everyone knew who they were and what they were doing and what their passions and talents were and that she's adrift and she's not really sure what she connects with. Yeah, that that bit. And this is the thing. I, I wanted Amira's story to be a bit broader. Mm. I was like, OK, yeah, we understand, you know, you babysit for this family and the guy seems kind of cute in the story, but what about you? And I, I'm sure that the lack of character development was purposeful, but I was, you're right, I did feel like that. Especially as a, especially being framed as a, as a, as a black female in that story. What is that like? I do have feelings about what it's like to feel adrift or not know what you're doing, but to have that in the story would be great. I saw someone tweeting about this and talking about... Ooh sort of black voices I think you know mostly in fiction but you know non-fiction and, and memoir as well and how much that what you say it's you know the sort of the struggle and the standard of of excellence and I think you know in mm. in your book and writers like sort of Terry Jones and Britt Bennett sort of these contemporary voices and it's like this is amazing but also this is sort of high high quality literary fiction and what the world needs is to have say black voices who are writing books like Sophie Kinsella who I love but as you can say just it's fun and it's a love story yes. and someone's doing too much shopping and nothing very serious has to happen necessarily yeah that would be oh it, uh, that would be the day you know I feel um in that regard publishing houses have a lot of work to do there's a lot of responsibility on their end I am very I'm interested in writing more books and I'm I've now become obsessed with what would happen if I don't let you know I'm black? So if the word black or black woman or black womanhood or whatever is not part of the title or blurb, I am interested to see who my readers will be. I think that would be a really great test. I don't think that I will ever be in the position to write um, fiction. I'm not a very good fiction writer. And I don't think um, I can write fluffy stuff just because of the life I've lived. But it would be interesting, maybe just from the cover and title, to try and pull a different kind of reader in. Because um, I do think readers have a responsibility, white readers have a responsibility, to not turn away just because something by the cover or whatever is positioned towards um, the black gaze. Because for millennium, black people, I, I only read The Babysitter's Club and Enid Blyton and, you know, all those other books. It, the, the books were never positioned to me. And yet I found comfort and solace and humour in those stories. And I think there needs to be activism and there to be active thought behind um, picking up a book that on the cover perhaps is not directed towards you. I think that's such an important point that we make such a big deal about how important it is for things to be relatable and on the one hand you know I, I think that's that's great and like but the other thing is I think that 
sometimes publishers underestimate where firstly where a reader sees themselves and secondly the Mm. fact that you can love and empathize and be moved and be informed without necessarily seeing yourself Mm. in a jet and it's really the as you say it's exactly what you were saying you know those you spent the years of being sort of you know seven to (laughs) seventeen reading (laughs) everything and like I will I must stop thinking of it as um the erotic adventures of Nelson Mandela (laughs) those years exactly you say that you wouldn't write fiction but come on (laughs) this is it and yet I never saw myself in the books I read and I still read them I still um you know even when you know we had our Harry Potter moment I still read all of those and saw myself in Hermione so which is really funny because then when it went to stage and it was a black girl that played Hermione and there was slight uproar about that that did make me chuckle I think well you know there were black kids reading this book why are we not allowed to see ourselves you know and was that something that you'd talk to sort of at school with friends and things that you'd be sort of sharing these books yeah yeah all the time and we never we were never conscious of the book not being for us you just devoured the story and like any reader of any race or sex you connected with the parts you understood and you enjoyed or just shrugged at the bits that you didn't so you know but how awesome would it be to like have a black version of say the notebook I love that story I love that movie and just to see black love in that way without there being a discussion or it being framed by slavery or injustice or imprisonment would be the best thing ever I do love talking about love stories and I was thinking about um about your book and the yeah. the love story that's in that you know not just the, you know because it's, it's multiple love stories you know and it's a story about family love as well do you have any favorite families in books because I suppose the trouble is with Harry Potter and Enid Blyton, or maybe not the trouble, but they're all, the reason they have those adventures is because the families are sort of awful and they have to you know, be running away from them. But I guess they find their own families too. This is it. But I think that maybe I'm personally drawn to stories like that because my own family is so fragmented and I have had to consciously go and create my own family and take what I like of what has been given to me via DNA or the universe or whatever and leave the stuff that I don't and so I am also very into I'm reading multiple books and I'm like halfway through girl woman other and so even that family as in the single mother with a daughter but the woman is um gay now just that I'm just like I like that because it's a, it's a very poor reference now considering his trials and tribulations but growing up even on TV I'm thinking of like the Huxtables um the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Desmond's like I reference in my book those were the things outside of stories that was the way families were positioned but that did mean going back to the book that women who were quote unquote baby mothers didn't see themselves as worthy of calling their single parent family units a family because it wasn't the the way that black families were positioned. So I'm open to um, different kinds of families in stories as well, which which is slowly starting to happen, I think. But I was thinking about the Babysitter's Club and um, Mimi, Claudia's grandmother, and I think I don't want to... 
do any spoilers here. I'm sure you read that one. I'm sure you've got to it. But there's a book where Mimi dies. I think I remember that being like the first death in a book, apart from Charlotte the Spider, that just destroyed me. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do remember reading that. And I, I remember feeling sad. And I had, and so I, I'm thinking about why now, because I had great connections to my grandparents. But again, it's just developing that love for certain characters. And for so many, maybe even myself, reading because of loss, because there are gaps in your family life or, or, or just gaps in your life in general that you think this book can close up, which I think is really, really powerful. Um, and that's, I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not biased. I love fiction and nonfiction, but I think that's where fiction really shows up because, um, and shows off because it can help people through certain things and feel less alone. I wrote a book about my being the eldest of six girls called The Sisterhood and it's to get there's lots of my family in there and I wanted to be honest um, most of all I wanted sort of to talk about the, the funny aspects of it but I'm very protective of them too. There are things mm. that I would not have put in that book but then in fiction maybe weirdly writers can be more honest and more explicit about those emotions and the rawness of them. Yeah, completely. And I have toyed with writing fiction next just so I could be more honest. Many of those who know me personally have messaged or reached out to say, well done you for being so gracious towards many of the people spoken about in your book, because we know different sides of this story or different angles. I am supremely protective more to the point because I'm black and I'm very aware of what people will where they will push those limits to and I'm also aware of the world that we live in not needing much to pin a black person to the wall and so where I can even if there are so many <laughs> not a great um what's the word I'm looking for soundbite of, I'm only human and of course there are so many black people who cheese me off every every hour of every day but I am very very cautious about taking that to social media or putting it in an article or in my writing because I'm like well damn it the world is hard on us as it is so I'm gonna I'm gonna take one for the team privately here because we have enough going on and I think as a collective black writers feel that it's like actually I know this person privately has completely ruined my life or you know done something untoward but that as we would say in in black communities that is family business that is not outside business and I was you know when my best my best friend didn't read I'm not your baby mother till about three weeks before it went out publicly and one of her first remarks was oh girl I hope you didn't write this book to be liked and I remember feeling sad but also laughing and she was like no babe she was like you have completely like done an open house on the black community and told every other race to come down to the basement where the floors are rotting you you had the choice to keep that basement door closed and just show them around the nicer parts of the house but you consciously let people go downstairs where everything's a mess and she said i understand why you've done that because there are black girls and women who are going to read this book who need to hear that they need to see that but she was like how do you feel about writing those things under the white gaze 
And I was like, you know, mate, I, I fall on my own sword in that regard. If that is what I have to do to ensure that black girls understand what coercion is, what rape is, their choice around their bodies and things like abortion and how the healthcare system is not set up to serve them, then this is what we have to do. But there are parts of me who doesn't like to take it too far because I know, unfortunately, I know the world we live in. And I can't believe I've had um, a 50 year old white man who lives in Kenya message me and be like, oh my gosh, this is the best book I've ever read. Which is so funny because I'm like, you are the complete opposite of who I sat down to write for. Uh, but that's the thing. I, this was my sixth book proposal. This was number six. There were five ideas before this. And I, I think my ego was saying to me earlier, oh, you know, their loss, uh, there's, there are various reasons why those books didn't get picked up. No, I'm willing to admit now the fact was who I was writing to was not clear. I was trying to serve too many people. And the minute I just thought, screw this, I'm writing for a 16 year old black girl in South London who is gonna get tripped up in life. And I wanna give her like a guidebook as to how this motherhood thing goes. The scales fell away and writing became so easy. And to anyone listening who wants to write, I would always say, you know, just have one person in mind. Other people turned up. Other readers showed up. Other people feel just as passionately, if not more so about I'm not your baby mother than the person I had in mind. But I, you have to write directly to one person. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We'll be back to you, Candice, soon, but now it's time for our Steal of the Week. And I've chosen one of my favourite books of the summer, Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. 
1957, and Jean, a reporter on a South East London newspaper, is contemplating the end of her thirties and the limitations of her life at home with her mother and the lack of romance or excitement in her life. When she is assigned to report on the story of Gretchen Tilbury, who claims that her 11-year-old daughter is the result of a virgin birth, Jean's horizons expand and she finds herself reckoning with her own status quo. This is extremely smart, sweet, warm and sharp. Chambers' observations about the humanity of her characters are painfully accurate. It's a very thoughtful novel about choice, lack and want. If you have ever craved some sort of literary intersection between Anna Hope and Barbara Pym, and I have, you'll love Small Pleasures. It's published by WNN and it's out now. Now, back to Candice. What books are there, if any, where you're like, I don't know this writer, but they could have written this for me? Any, absolutely anything by Toni Morrison or Maya Angelou. Anything. All of their stories. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, it, well, I do know what it is. Um, it is them grappling with their identity as younger black women in certain stories, regardless of the fact that um, they, they were based in America. Um, those books uh, used to shout at me. They used to shout at me. The bluest eye just literally hit me upside the head because it's like, as a darker skinned black girl growing up with colorism, hoping and praying that one day you wake up with lighter skin, bluer eyes, straighter hair. Seeing that vocalized by someone else was like the biggest hug. And I hope that's how, yeah, it's quite emotional. I hope that's how anything I ever write makes other people feel. I want you to feel seen. I want you to like all that tension you carry in your neck and your shoulders because of your difference or race or class. I want you to read a story of mine and just be like, oh, she gets it. Thank you. You know, I'm never going to meet Tony or Maya now because, you know, they're dead. But I feel like I've met them. I feel like I know them. I feel like whenever I feel really at my wits end, I can pull any of their books and be like, Candice, get yourself together. Can you remember when you first read The Bluest Eyes? Do you know how old you would have been? I want to say 13 because my dad's wife was a massive Toni Morrison fan. And in my dad's office, she had a bookshelf. And then on days in the summer holidays, when dad and I weren't doing anything, I'd just go up there. And I think I was just really like, oh, who is this Toni Morrison? Because it was all Toni Morrison, Maya, Ileana Valzant, like all of these strong black female voices. And yeah, when I, when I came across that book, it almost felt like, um, how, how can I say it? Uh, like I was being naughty am I really meant to be reading this? Well, of course you are because you identify with so much of it. But it also felt like I needed a book club. I needed like an Oprah's book club in that moment. And I've since gone back and watched Oprah's book club specifically for that book, just to have a moment of like recognition of being like, it was, it was, it was okay. You were meant to come across that book when you did, because at 13, I was really struggling with self-identity and the way I looked and my place in my friendship group and the world. So, yeah, I was about 13, for sure. I do think everything a person reads and sort of in that year of, of your life, or, you know, it's so, it's like 
drugs everything every word is just so <laughs> powerful it really like you know gets into your core and reaches you I love so, that idea it's about you going back to Oprah's book club have you found any other books through those old episodes that you've sort of discovered and become excited about not actually Candice don't lie um I do Oprah is a very big fan of uh, Seat of the Soul which I found to be a really powerful book um, also, she is the first person who I ever saw speak about The Alchemist, which, of course, it's so world famous. But um, I read that off of her recommendation, her book club recommendation. And that book is just consistently with me um, because I, I am I'm a Pisces. So I'm a sucker for um, the esoteric, the woo woo, as people will call it. I'm just like all about that. And me too <laughs> I was you know they when they changed the star signs I was devastated that I'm a Pisces I'm not I can't remember if I was supposed to be an Aquarius or Aries but there is no way I am I am a lazy emotional fish <laughs> exactly me too and so the way the alchemist is written in such plain language but the story is so strong love that book and yeah I found that through Oprah as if she I call her my auntie auntie Oprah's recommendation <laughs> amazing tell me about you said it's called the soul of the sea yes the sea of the soul sorry the sea and, of the soul. yeah and, and it's like um how can i describe it it's just about the idea of you yourself and your consciousness being two separate things basically oh so is it so fiction yes and very um what's um what's the guy's name? Deepak. Very Deepak Chopra in style and um, really powerful because I'm, especially the last few years, I've really delved deeper into the understanding of the way we think about things and the power of our thoughts. And so I would say, I just use the term the secret for that. Although I really hate the secret as a book. There are better books to delve into the idea of law of attraction or um, your soul and your consciousness and seat of the soul is is just one of those. When um, I worked for Bliss magazine as my first journalism job, and um, I remember we got sent the teen secrets. So it was like a teen specific book. And I think, I think I've read the secret, but I haven't. I've only read the teen secret. And I do remember yeah. thinking 90% of this is nonsense. However, I sort of like the idea of... Yeah, it's very, the, the book, The Secret, is tremendously repetitive. And, I, and there are more, um, there are funnier. So Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass is The Secret, but it's brilliantly written. It's funny, it's engaging. She gives real life up-to-date examples. And I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of law of attraction book that I'd prefer to read, for sure. I love her voice. I think I you know, like you she's got that real sharpness and funniness and honesty in this really clear I think she's probably also got such a specific sense of who she's writing for and yes. it really comes across but it makes yeah. everyone want to read it no she are oh, her books are amazing and I listen to her on audiobook which is absolutely hilarious so I love her <laughs> I do love um the writer I talk about quite a lot uh, Shiru Azadi who's written two non-fiction books and they're both kind of self-helpy one is um the first one, I think, is the kindness method. And the second one is the last diet. And I think they pair quite well with any sort of motivational, go and achieve your goals. Because it's just about the way that we so often, in pursuit of 
those goals we just beat ourselves up and there's that why haven't you done it yet and she's just very good on being kind of profoundly compassionate and that we can only do anything if we see the best in ourselves yeah do you know who does that really well as well um I haven't read her latest one but Elizabeth Gilbert oh yes Eat Pray Love like is she she just has this knack and for for everything Gilbert's been through in her personal life for her to show up to tell these stories in filled with such gratitude I'm like no you really are special because you know and and the way she allows us to um learn from her personal life in her work I find that really tremendous and it makes me adore her as a writer do you think that had any kind of either direct or subconscious influence on you when you were writing I'm not your baby mother I think that generosity of spirit is something that you both share in your writing oh that's such a compliment and I would hope so I would hope, again, Pisces, I'm naturally a giver. We're just naturally set up to leave ourselves hungry for the needs of somewhere else. Although this year I'm all about boundaries and trying not to leave myself empty. But I think with a book, especially, you know, books are not these never ending things. There's a word count, there's a cap. Why not leave it all on the table? Because as a reader, you can tell when a writer is not. And I I disengage when I think, oh, you've, I feel like you've glossed over that bit. Even in I Am Not Your Baby Mother, the, the chapter speaking of trigger warning here, sexual assault, I don't want anyone to um, just dive into that. But the chapter describing rape was the last chapter to be filed because I was just going back and forth with myself. I was like, oh, do you really want to go there? You've not even spoken about this moment with your own therapist you know it it doesn't matter but then as I kept reading what I believe to be the finished product quotation marks um it wasn't sitting right and in like the final hour as I'd handed in the words I I messaged my editor Katie I was like hold on one more thing and once that was in there I was like and now we can go um I do think especially if you're writing non-fiction I think if you're not prepared to leave most of yourself open, then don't bother because a reader can smell it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to be a writer. And I, you know, who doesn't want to be like, uh, who doesn't want their work purchased for six or seven figures when you're 21? Looking back, for me personally, no good could have come of anything I wrote in my 20s because there was just so much trauma I had to work through. No, no, I, I would have looked back at whatever I wrote at that time and just been like, that was too soon. I think anyone who wants to be a writer or who is writing, uh, I always have a phrase in my head, um, uh, a delay is not a denial that's how I speak to myself and I am very very respectful of red lights I am respectful of people telling me no I'm respectful of the feeling of doors not opening because when they do it makes sense I'm gonna pull a Brene Brown for want of better expression because she does this in a podcast and I love it I just want us to say that again because it's brilliant a delay is not a denial I love that so much yeah yeah it's not a denial you know and then when you when you have the gift because it is a gift to be able to look back on your life 
and chart what could have happened but didn't and what replaced that, you're going to be so grateful. I am so grateful that whoever it was didn't allow those five proposals to see the light of day before I'm not your baby mother. And I think it's really interesting as well because it's so rare to to talk about that, that, you know, you have a, a book that comes out, it seems to be an absolutely enormous success. And that's what we see and that's what we show. And there's a gap, I think, between what we what we want to write and when we're ready to write it. Yeah, completely. And I just think, you want to show up as your best self. And that takes time. And I couldn't have produced a book like I'm Not Your Baby Mother without being a mother. So there's a start. And I wasn't. Yeah. And and not even in the, the first few years of having a child, there was a lot I needed to process in my inner child to make sure that that book goes out and, and, and give someone that hug that I was talking about. Um, I know we talked a bit about uh, families in fiction, but I was thinking about mm. mothers specifically and um, any books where there have been, you know, characters who are mothers and you felt like they've got good parenting tips and other characters that you'd like to go in and maybe do a bit of a super nanny on. Or... And it's funny that I would struggle with this because I, I have a, I have a, I, and I think people pick up on it in the book, I have a disconnect with mothering or being mothered. So maybe that's why I'm struggling to think about characters that mother. Well, currently reading Girl, Woman, Other, I am, I am encouraged by, I forget the one of the lead characters who has the daughter. I'm encouraged by her way to allow her daughter to have quite a high level of freedom. I like to see that in, 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 in mothering characters, especially the characters of mothers who are Black. Because I think a lot of stories, um, American or British, the mothering role leads into what I call the mammy narrative. It's like larger, jovial lady who is like, come here and cry on my bosom or is trying to ram more fried chicken down your throat. And I just think that can be a bit exhausting. So it's nice to see and this is perhaps why Girl, Woman, Other does so well because it does it across the board. It's just nice to see the idea of black motherhood um, reformatted. I have a memory of like a lot later, there is a, one of the characters, I think, goes to university and it puts quite a strain on her relationship with her mother. Her mother has made enormous sacrifices to get her there, but it's, Mm. but also her going to university sort of changes her yeah and I feel and I feel that and I that's really interesting because I feel like um a lot of black millennials have felt that and Gen Z will definitely feel that because um yes racism is alive and the conversation around anti-racism is the loudest it's ever been in my lifetime but we are now about to become the produce of our ancestors really hard work and the life I live is so far removed from my own mother so far removed my dad's dead but so far removed from his life and so there is going to be a lot of um in my peer group there's just a lot of difficulty because there's this pull it's like yeah but you you know you told me I could be anything and now I'm trying to be it why are you you trying to keep me here you know and on the parenting side I think I just think it's out of fear 
I think even, you know, sometimes when people are saying the worst things to us, it's rooted in fear and it's rooted in lack. And so to see characters in books be more graceful and forgiving of each other and themselves is uh, something that I'm really keen to see. I know you said that you don't think it's necessarily in your gift. I disagree. If I was a publisher, I would now be like putting cash on a truck and sending it to your house, the contract saying, please write some fiction, please. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? Because, you know, I do say these things and then five years later, I'm like, here you are. Um, (laughs) I I, I don't know. I would say if I did ever write fiction, it would definitely pull on threads of my own life because there's just so much good material there. And whenever I do talk to people and I see their facial expressions, they're like, did that really happen? I'm like, yeah, maybe this would make good fiction. Is there anything that you've got on your to-read pile that you're excited about, either coming later in the year or...? Do you know what I haven't read? It's an old book, but I haven't read it yet. And my friend was reading it. We just, we were in Greece last week. Um, Bell Hooks, All About Love. I've read a couple of pages and I'm absolutely just caught in a rapture. Um, I've got Pandora's book on my pile, um, the lovely Pandora, Emma Gannon's Olive. I'm very interested to read that because as a mother, I don't have a lot of conversations with women who are really clear about not wanting to be mothers. So I want to get into that. A great journalist I know, um, Kenya Hunt could be pronounced Kenya, but I think it's Kenya Hunt. She's going to be bringing out a book called Girl. And um, I think it's going to be like essays to black women. So that those are like the four. That is a really, <laughs> really strong list. Um, yeah. the, the Bell Hooks book, is that a novel? Yeah. Or? No, it's nonfiction. And it's just about, it's, it is all about love, as the title suggests. But it's about um, black women trying to love themselves trying to have loving relationships with other people it's a very very therapeutic and my friend was like you know you're gonna have you're perhaps gonna have to up your therapy sessions after reading this one and I do agree but I'm excited <laughs> something I was thinking about when um books I've written non-fiction books where people said oh you know writing is like therapy isn't it and you want to say mm. no 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 you need to be in therapy to do the writing, <laughs> accessing all yes. of And when you were talking about, um, you know, sexual assault, especially, and you're, you can't, yeah. there's nothing cathartic about writing all that down. You've got to be in a very solid place with it before you can share it. Yeah, completely. And it's whilst writing I'm Not Your Baby Mother, I stopped therapy because I just found I couldn't do both at once. I was coming away from my computer feeling so exhausted and so sad. I was like, actually, I don't need to pay someone to make me feel like that right now. I can press pause on that. But the second, like we did the final edit straight back into therapy and me just offloading the emotions writing that book brought up for me. I was thinking about what you said about boundaries as well. Yeah, yeah, completely. I have stopped um, reading my DMs and any email people find of me online is is my management's email um because it it, it's become a bit much and I love it I adore it because that means the material has connected but I think I couldn't dm sister soldier when I was reading the coldest winter ever and there was a beauty in that because your authors felt 
disconnected from you they felt you know like these otherworldly things and I think social media has blurred the lines a bit and it's so funny because every message in regard to that book starts with I know you won't see this but I just feel like people need to get it off their chest even though 90% of them is like she's never gonna read this um and the thing is I do I read almost all of them I don't respond because that's where it starts to become too taxing but um yeah I've had to really put up the biggest boundaries of my of my life since publishing this book and there's no kind of guideline is there no one ever says in this information age we're just like constant connection and being available to everyone all the time is a good thing I really don't think it is I don't think so either I don't think so and people need to remember that whatever you share online is is really five ten fifteen seconds of 24 hours and we need to be kinder to people and not and and not have those kind of expectations on them I mean totally undermine the point of everything we've just talked about if you could dm sister soldier what would you say just thank you just thank you for writing such a such a strong book yeah just thanks if i could it would just simply be thank you huge thanks to candice if you haven't already do go and read i am not your baby mother immediately it's published by quirkus it's an engaging enraging compassionate smart generous and thoughtful book a really important book about race and motherhood in the 21st century that you'll learn a lot from, whether you're a parent or not. I'm Daisy Buchanan and I've been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find us on social media at YBooked and please do leave a review. It's great to know what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. I'll see you next time, but for now, I leave you with this writing advice from E.B. White. Most of my essays have no plot structure. They are a ramble in the woods or a ramble in the basement of my mind. You ask, who cares? Everybody cares. You say it's been written before. Everything has been written before. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.